Welcome to episode 195 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode of the podcast, we discuss HIA rules, a new super league that has rocked the soccer world and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 195 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T, and joining me is Tish. Tish, how are you doing this week? Dr. T, I am uh, I am doing really, really well. I think uh, it was a great round of Rugby League last weekend, and uh, things seem to be really heating up in the NRL. And, uh, of course, we've got the... Uh, you know, the great Anzac round uh, this weekend, and we've got lots of games on Anzac Day, which is fantastic, but I'm uh, looking forward to some of the matches that are going to be this week. But uh, how about yourself? How's things on your end? Uh, yeah, look, not bad, not bad. I th- you know, good to see the Eels got up uh, again, uh, you mm. know, back to normal. But look, I would have expected you to be a bit more down in the dumps after what the Tigers went through, because that was a <laughs> rip snorter of a game that they had with the South Sydney Rabbitohs. But... Look, yes. uh, yeah, we definitely will talk about it later. <laughs> but look, mm. there's a lot happening in the, in the world. Look, in the world of rugby league, but more so this week uh, in in the world in general, in the world of soccer, which has a very very strong connection to rugby league, which is why we're going to uh, you know have a bit of a focus on that um, on you know on those two dreaded words, Super League. Which has wow. uh, which is coming to haunt soccer now? No, 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 not the English Super League. We're talking Australian Super League. Dreaded words, right? Well, the, of course, yes. This is what I mean. The the nineties version of the Super League here in Australia, mm. Uh, mm. but Super League is well, you know, I think it's fair to say the the Super League, as they call it in soccer, is is uh, taking the their world by storm, and I think. Uh, Look, maybe we can impart some advice from the rugby yeah. league perspective about um, about what uh, you know, and, and sort of make some interesting comparisons to how how soccer fans are handling it, and uh, it's it's very very interesting. So we will definitely dive into that later. But look, without any further ado, let's get into our six tackles, and here we go with tackle number one: the news update. All right, so we've got quite a, a few bits of news that we, we want to launch into. Tish, the first one relates to a signing by your West Tigers. Yes, that's right. So, look, in a kind of uh, one of those uh, not-so-hidden secrets, because I think there's been rumours for a while, but the Tigers have uh, officially announced that they have signed... Jackson Hastings um, to start with the West Tigers on a two-year contract starting 2022. And now uh, Jackson Hastings, he had, um, you know, he had a stint at the Roosters and then a stint at Manly, then went over to the Super League, uh, where he has won the, you know, player of the of the, uh, you know, of the Super League, the Man of Steel, I think it's called. 
um, you know, because obviously the Man of Steel is Superman, and <laughs> hence you know the Superman of 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 the Super League. And he played for Wigan last year. I think Wigan were the actual premiers. So um, yeah, so look, Jackson Hastings now returns to the NRL. Um, look, he had a bit of a messy fallout when he left the Sea Eagles, but I think it's a great signing for the West Tigers. Interestingly, um, they've actually come out and said that they're still 100% behind Luke Brooks. Um, you know, Hastings plays the same position as Luke Brooks, but there is an idea that he might actually be playing with the number 13 jersey as a as a ball-playing lock forward, um, you know, in the likes of uh, Bradley Clyde. And, um, and I think Brayton and Asta had that. And you actually see Victor Bradley do that in the modern game a little bit as well. So it's, it, you know, it's very interesting, you know, the 13 is not really usually considered part of the spine, but some teams uh, like to have, you know, a ball playing uh, lock forward to sort of link, um, you know, the middle to the edge. Uh, but but your thoughts on uh, the signing of Jackson Hastings? Well, this has got Michael Maguire all over it because... If you remember, he was the man that led South Sydney faithful to the promised land in 2014 Mm. by winning them their first premiership in God knows how long. And who was their lock forward? Did they have... No. Was it? No. (laughs) Okay. Wasn't it their captain, John Sutton? Was he locked forward? It was. Yes. Am I right or was he the second row? Maybe I'm getting confused, but I always thought of him as the ball playing lock forward. And I think, is that what Maguire is looking for? Is he looking for a version two of a John Sutton to come in there and add that extra dimension to the squad? Look, Look, I don't know. It, it, you know, obviously Souths then had a lot, a lot. You know, they had a lot more going for them in terms of uh, variety out wide and strong forward pack and all that kind of thing. So maybe Maguire, look, this is his way of trying to start starting to build something at the Tigers that they don't have at the moment and giving himself uh, some more options. And look, didn't Maguire have some success in England as well? So he kind of understands the English game as well. So mm. you know this. This might be a good signing. I mean, Jackson Hastings, you know, had some issues when he was in the NRL last, went to England, picked himself up, and uh, is now, you know, well, at the last year's kind of player of the year. And here he, here he is with an opportunity to come back and make a, a mark in the NRL again. So I think this is a Maguire special. Um, mm. And, and I, I think... Potentially, it's it's less of a risk than it seems. I think it's probably a smart move, um, and maybe if Hastings has got the, uh, you know, is Hastings the one that's going to be the ball playing lock forward, or is it going to be Luke Brooks? <laughs> because you have to decide one or the other. <laughs> Based on defense, um, I think it will go out to uh, Hastings because uh, obviously uh, Luke Brooks is uh, sometimes a liability. Oh, on that on that left hand side, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I just had, had a look at it. it. It was actually, um, it was actually the way they named the team. It was uh, Sam Burgess that was locked forward, but um, you know, oh. John Sutton was right there in the second row. But it just goes to show, you know, having forwards or having bigger body players uh, that could sort of you know play the ball, and particularly now since it's a very fast game as well, um, having like a mo- I think mobility is sort of winning over, um, you know, winning over sort of pure power at the moment. So, um, and I think that's probably going to continue to happen. So it's interesting how NRL squads are going to look. Um, 
you know, there's there's also this other idea now, like, you know, you've got Melbourne playing with two hookers. That's a that's a new sort of tactic too. So there's a bit of uh I think there's a bit of changes happening in the way teams are playing and, and maybe Hastings is a new innovation to the West Tigers. Exactly, yeah. All right, so speaking of players moving to the NRL, we've also seen some a bit of a merry-go-round potentially happening. Mm. So what's the latest on this merry-go-round of uh, the NRL, or well, halves in particular? Yes, well, um, look, we're, the halfbacks, um, you know, there are a lot of them are coming off contract, and uh, obviously we all know about the Adams Reynolds situation, but there's another halfback out there, uh, a very reliable uh, premiership-winning halfback in Chad Townsend. And there is uh, the Cowboys have made a shock bid to actually get the halfback um, Chad Townsend in um, to their squad for next year. Um, you know, they're pretty much uh, Todd Payton has pretty much confirmed that they've got him, uh, but it hasn't been made official yet. But look, this is actually going to create a set of dominoes that will uh, actually... Um, could mean that a few other players might actually, um, you know, have, have have a few changes to where they're going to end up. So I know that uh, Jay Clifford, who is the Cowboys' current halfback, um, he's already been uh, advised that he might go to Newcastle. And then obviously with Newcastle, they've actually got uh, Mitchell Pearce, but they also have um, they also have another player there who's getting a little bit on an age as well, who's sort of their thing. And then I think Callum Pong is coming out of contract there as well. But, you know, the other interesting one is that obviously you've got Adam Reynolds, but you've also got Mitchell Moses, who um, at the moment is not allowed to talk to clubs until round 10. And then after that, he can actually either extend to, for Parramatta for another year, or he could go out into the open market. And apparently he has not signed, uh, you know, he's not taken advantage of the extension. So therefore, you know, he might be trying to shop himself around could end up signing back at Parramatta anyway, but um, you know maybe trying to get extra extra money. And with, with the way Mitchell Moses is playing, um, I think that uh, you know obviously you know he might um, you know uh, get quite a lot of uh, you know attention from other players. Um, considering that Chad Townsend's actual contract is going to be two million dollars over three years, um, so if one halfback sees that, then it sort of creates a bit of a domino effect. Uh, with some of the others, but uh, yeah, is there, um, you know, Mitchell Moses, do you think he's a, a Parramatta for lifer or do you think um, he might move on there, Dr. T? Well, I mean, who knows? I mean, he's he's already shown that when he's not happy in a particular place that he's willing to move on. And I guess if the opportunity presents itself, uh, who knows? Maybe he'll he'll see that. Look, I think, I think at the moment he's... Look, it's slightly different to the situation when he was at the Tigers. I think with the Eels, he seems happy mm. there, um, yes. and there's a big, there's a good team around him, etc. It's just that they're not getting the success that they want out of him, um, yep. and I think that's not necessarily the conditions for him to leave. But you know, you never know if a good enough offer was put in front of someone. Uh, yeah. You can't blame them for having to look at it. So, um, well, I personally think he should stay because I'm thinking about. Um, the top six clubs, um, the others, like obviously Penrith are not going to get rid of Cleary. Um, that's a, that's a given, right? And then, um, and then so like Canberra, you know, maybe, but they've got a. I think they've invested into their halves long term, um, you know. And then the Roosters, I don't think he will fit into the Roosters just with the way they play and their whole, you know, 
one team, one rooster, like, you know, being team orientated. I, I don't know if Mitchell quite has that same sort of thing. Um, and then, yeah, and then you've got the Melbourne Storm, which also have a system very similar. So, you know, it, it's like, you know, if he wants to win a premiership, I don't see any other club outside that top six that um, he could fit into. That's that's probably where I feel like it's more of a money play than uh, than anything else. Um, yeah, because, like, if he joins a lesser club, um, will he have the same success and will he end up missing out on a premiership? Um you know, I, I actually don't think South would be a good move for him either, you know, particularly if they've, um, you know, gotten rid of Adam Reynolds because of, you know, salary cap difficulties. Um, he's not going to take a pay cut to go to South, is he? Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. All right. So the next bit of news is, uh, you know, not not as big as, uh, well, it's just, it's more more closer to home. Uh, but involving a player not so close to home. So it's about Josh Hodgson, who is obviously an English player playing in Canberra, and he um, he's come under attack recently where, you know, where um, uh, he's uh, basically the way he, he it, he's been accused of, shall we say, doing a poor gallon and hogging the attack. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't want to say it, but I thought, why not? Mm. It's, he's yeah. been accused of doing a poor gallon and uh, and hogging the attack and, and not sort of, um, you know, in a way stifling the rest of the Canberra attack. Um, and, well, here's a comment from Ricky Stewart. I quote, there's a number of individuals who are letting the team down and once they understand, uh, what did he say? Once they, once they understand the hard, cold truth of it all, and or I've got to find someone else. <laughs> so that uh, clearly that's not a sentence that makes sense. But um, <laughs> he was all right. <laughs> he was he was so angry. His his grammar just went out the window. And uh, look, I think what and obviously what he's getting at potentially uh, is uh, is that there's some players that are not really kind of playing ball together. Um, but others have taken it further and and have looked at. You know who could he be talking about, and and uh, what exactly has been happening with Canberra's attack? It seems they've kind of gone off rails a little bit. And look, one of the key players in social media who's who's actually uh, blasted Josh Hodson and his role in stifling Canberra's attack is actually Jackson Hastings' mum. And so on Twitter, you'll find her name is um, I think his name is Megan Harrod, um, mm. and. Um, Look, the quote from uh, the Fox League or Fox NRL Twitter handle was, uh, who was a quote from? I'm not sure who the quote was from, but uh, the quote was, he interferes in Whiten's space. He overplays his hand down William's side. So someone made that comment and uh, Meg Harrod chimed in with, did the same thing for Great Britain. Reason why they didn't win a game, all about him wanting to do it all. Fact. And then she said something else, which was when Great Britain played, the only time they went well and looked good was when he was on the bench. So frustrating. So look, um, yeah, that, that looks some big, some fighting words there from Jackson Hastings' mum, which will make it a very interesting Canberra versus Tigers game next year um, yes. when they go against each other. Which you know it normally is when we're talking about the uh, replay of the '89 Grand Final. But what do you think about this? First of all, uh, let's focus on the the issue at hand. Josh Hodson, 
Is he Josh Hogson? Uh, does he <laughs> hog the ball? Does he stifle Canberra's attack? What do you think? Because I, I don't think this is always the case. This is the first time I've heard that he's uh, he kind of stifles the attacker. In the past, he's been quite quite valuable, I think, to their attack. So what, what is your view on that that issue? Well, what I think has happened is, um, and you kind of see this uh, happen a little bit, um, you know, you have you have two best friends, right? And then, uh, you know, and then they've the played well together. And then what happens is, is like, you know, uh, one of the friends gets injured, which was Hodson's case, or, you know, has to go away. And last year, Josh Hodson had to go away and was out of the team for like a year or two, right? Uh, for for like pretty much the whole year, we like you know had an early injury. So then, um, then another playmaker comes on board, and uh, you know, and then so you know the two halves at Canberra, they learn to play with each other, right? And they learn to get the ball early, and they sort of uh, have their combination down pat. Now you bring the other player in, and you know there's a continuity issue. I actually feel like that's what's actually going on here. You know, it's kind of like. You know, he's become the third wheel um, and, and they're just not used to having him around anymore. They've gotten so used to uh, to, to, to living without him. You know, a bit like uh, Mr. Burns from Seinfeld when he, uh, you know, uh, when Homer becomes his uh, secretary and, you know, he learns to live without, you know, um, his secretary's help, that kind of thing. From Simpson, you mean, not Seinfeld? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. Lots of them. Yeah, yeah. You, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? you know? yeah. Of course. Yeah, that that episode. But I, but I, but I have a feeling that it's kind of like that, which is kind of where that's going on. And um, you know, Canberra, there is poor form, and and maybe that's happened. It's interesting. He has been dropped for this round um, with a calf injury. Um, but the interesting thing about that is that the um, apparently how he got the calf injury is kind of a bit dubious because he got it in training, um, where apparently he was leaning on a tackle bag, and it caused a calf injury, which um, you know, some medical experts, um, you know, from the uh, behavioral science unit of, uh, you know, trying to figure out how that actually happened. But, you know, so because because I don't think Ricky Short necessarily wants to use the word dropped, uh, but he's dropped, uh, I think he's dropped six other players from his squad. So he really wants to shake things up there, yeah. uh, Ricky. And I think this is a thing. Now, um, yeah, look, Megan Harrod, uh, it's funny, like, you know, Megan Harrod, that, that whole thing is interesting. I think it comes down to, a match where Hastings and uh, Hodson played together for England, and maybe she felt that um, you know her son didn't get enough of the ball. Um, um, other interesting things about Megan Harrod, though, uh, she is obviously the uh, you know uh, mother of Jackson Hastings, but also the ex-wife of former NRL player Kevin Hastings, mm-hmm. and um, you know she uh, narrowly avoided a. Uh, a jail sentence for stealing almost a million dollars from a, a real estate company. So uh, before uh, before moving with us onto England, so um, wow. Well, you know, know, look if anyone knows about uh, <laughs> about about stealing attention or limelight or any kind of stealing, then it would be that kind of person. But look. And, and Josh Hudson's great at the one-on-one steal as well. Let's, uh, let's <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, look, I mean, look, whatever the case may be about people's history, it will make for an interesting year next year. Like I said, Canberra v Tigers. Yeah, there will be definitely a story there um, when they they go head to head. But yeah, look, it's it's interesting. It's it's very interesting that um, the soap opera, the soap, the soap opera soap- of rugby league, continues on. 
So are the days of our lives. <laughs> That's right. Anyway. All right, let's move on to tackle number two, our last round review. And here we go with the round six wrap. All right, so uh, quick fire through the scores. Uh, Penrith, 20, defeating the Broncos, 12. Newcastle, 26, over the Cronulla Sharks, 22. Melbourne Storm, 20, defeated the Roosters, 4. Manly, shut out the Titans, Mm. 36-0. Rabbitohs in a thriller against the Tigers, 18-14. the Eels uh, smashing the Raiders 35 to 10. Warriors uh, 20 to 14. And finally, the Cowboys 30 to 18 over the Bulldogs. Now, I think I know where this is going to go. How yeah. with you if I'm going to put the highlight of the weekend? And before we launch into that, well, actually, no, let's do that. Let's launch into what was your highlight game of the weekend? Well, look. Um, this is a great round. I think this is the best round so far. We've had some great matches. And I've probably seen the best club game for this year so far. And I think it's going to have to be the best club game that is the proponent of all the new rules, um, which is the South Sydney West Tigers game. This is the first golden point game of the year. Um, it was 14 all at, at you know at full time. Um, you know, throughout the whole game, you know, uh, it looked like the Rabbitohs were on top, but the Tigers held on. Then the Tigers uh, took the lead, you know, straight after halftime. There was a few incidences, um, a couple of nasty shots. I think Latrell Mitchell is going to miss about three to four weeks after he kicked a player uh, in the head. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, which was pretty pretty bad. Um, so there was a, a, bit, a bit of fire in the game too. And um, yeah, But the reason why I say that it was a proponent of all the new rules because pretty much we, we kind of saw them all in play. Um, you know, we saw the two-point field goal. So, you know, uh, kicked by Adam Reynolds. And it was an incredible one. It was kind of a bit unexpected. But that's what actually leveled up the game, you know. And then uh, we had a disallowed try as well that happened um, where it was actually awarded a try, but then on further review, um, you know, there was a hand that was on the sideline, um, you know, when, when uh, you know, when the Rabbitohs player tried to uh, put the ball down, which was also pretty amazing you know there was a there was a whole bunch of you know um set tackle restarts that kept happening in the game which created you know all that fatigue throughout the whole game um as well so there was yeah you know and obviously with all the scrums and everything like that um there was actually one scrum that went against the feet as well in there as well um there was a captain's challenge that was uh awarded um from the tigers point of view um and i think there was a rabbitohs might have lost one as well um so yeah, so so, and then the final play, obviously right at the end, you know, in the golden point moment, um, you had the, uh, you had the Rabbitohs, um, you know, it was George Burgess. He went over the line, he put the ball down, although it, you know it looked a little uh, crazy. Um, you know, all the South players are, are, are sort of celebrating. Meanwhile, you know, the referee hasn't actually called the try yet, and he notices Luke Brooks has got the ball and he's running down the field. And then Luke Brooks puts the ball down on the other end. Um, and the referee actually awards the try to the Tigers. Um, and then so we, you know, obviously now with the new rules from this year where they actually check um, what actually happened, um, that allows, uh, you know, the video referee to go back 
to see the grounding of the Rabbitohs and and in the end George Burgess, George Burgess, you know, a fingertip um of downward pressure is what he got. But he got downward pressure. I, I think it was a fair enough try. And that was it. And so an absolutely incredible game, particularly particularly uh well done for the Tigers who have been quite disappointing in the first few rounds this season. And this is probably their best performance that they've had this year. Although, I mean, as a as a as a Tigers fan, I, I kind of um I'm kind of very scared about how they're gonna perform against Manly this week because they're very hot and cold. And I think this is the reason why they haven't made the finals for, for you know, over a decade now. Because um you know, they're a team that seems to be able to get, um, you know, they can make the uh, good teams look a bit ordinary and they can make ordinary teams look good. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and that's been their special. So so they really have to uh, back it up because, uh, because yeah, because I, th- I think this type of performance shows them that they can actually pull out an 80-minute performance and compete with the big teams. So definitely my highlight. Sorry if I've ran it on a bit too long there, Dr. T. How about yourself? No, nah, look, that's all, that's all good. I would have to agree. I think it was an amazing end to that uh, Rabbitohs-Tigers match. I think clearly, in, as far as endings of, of games that we've seen this year, it was clearly the most exciting. And I don't think I've ever seen a game ever where a a referee or a video referee decision mm. would, would decide ultimately one way or the other. So they were looking, they had to look at, you know, ultimately they would have had to look at the, the, the Burgess kind of try. Uh, But also um, even if that was given uh, the no try, they would have had to check every bit of play from there until the Luke Brooks tried the other end of the field. Cause uh, so really, but it really boiled down to, you know, if they said yes to the Souths one, then it was a moot point and it ended up being a yes to that. So I, like I said, I don't think I've ever, it, it was really exciting to watch. And, and I think, um, <clears throat> you know, and, and not only that, but also if the lead up to that, like the, the Reynolds two point field goal to get them back into it, um, towards the end there, you know, that kind of thing. Just really exciting stuff because they look like they're on the ascendancy and 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 not only that, like he, he kicked the two point field goal, but I think you forgot to mention that he then kicked a very easy penalty goal at one point. He had he actually had the chance to win it earlier. And he uh, missed, yeah. And he missed a, a, the kind of goal that he wouldn't so there was drama everywhere, you know, things that you expect to happen that wouldn't have happened and, and vice versa. And so yeah. it was a really exciting game. But look one of the, the the other kind of highlights of the of the round, and it wasn't it wasn't so much evident during the the match itself, but it certainly came out later in um, in the wash up that the Warriors, in their win against the Dragons, I think uh, established a rare feat, which was they I think they were the first team in the NRL era to have completed all their sets, so one hundred percent completion. Wow! During the game, they had twenty sets and they completed all sets. Um, you know, which is look, it's it's definitely a big part of a big building block to being able to win is to complete your sets. And we've talked about this in the past about how some coaches go overboard on completion rate as the be all and end all. Well, you can't get much better than one hundred percent. So well done, mm. Warriors, the perfect Warriors. Uh, you know, did enough to win against the Red Hot Dragons and had to had to get complete sets in order to do so. So oh, that's well done, yeah. Um, 
not that the game itself was as exciting as the Rabbitohs and Tigers one, but it was exciting nonetheless. So there you go. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so that to me, those, yeah. those were the the kind of highlights. Apart from the usual, um, you know, the Penrith Panthers, of course, did it tough against the Broncos. I think they yeah. – uh, look, I think one of the things I want to mention is I think the Panthers are very much – uh, potentially letting the media and and uh, you know the media comments and and social media comments get to them. Uh, I don't think they that the Broncos should have been within <laughs> within range of the Panthers, and yet they were up until very close to the end when uh, yeah. Luai and Cleary combined to uh, finish them off. But it was a lot closer than it should have been. So I think for all the celebrations about the Panthers, I think it was a danger game and a danger sign that yep. they mentally have a little bit to get to, uh, to you know, getting a bit stronger there in that department. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I, I think so too. I think, um, you know, there was fairly unfairly, I, I don't know where people sit on it, but I think the Panthers, yeah, it was a bit of a danger game um, for them. Uh, Broncos who weren't really, and then went up there. And look, I also felt this throughout the game. Nathan Cleary has a very poor record at Suncorp. This might be his second win there, actually. Like, um, so because he hasn't won an Origin game there, right? So, mm. um, this 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 is also a bit of a that kind of thing. So, look, I think the Broncos played really outstanding, well, a, a bit a bit above um, what everybody expected of them. And I think, um, and I think what you've seen this round, you've actually seen something very interesting, in that you know a lot of the teams that a lot of people sort of, um, uh, sort of you know counted out because of their poor start to the year, really shone through this, um, you know, through this round. Um, you know, the Warriors have been a bit up and down. They got a good win over the Red Hot, um, you know, Dragons. You sort of saw, um, you know, Manly um, this two wins in a row, um, and thirty six nil with Turbo being on fire, sort of thing. Um, you know, even, uh, you know, Newcastle and Cronulla had a pretty tight game and, you know, the Broncos and the Tigers were playing well, who, who people thought they were very ordinary. So I think it kind of shows that, you know, we might might talk about these, you know, the, the top clubs being, you know, so far above the rest, but it does actually show that the, the competition, you know, I think some of these lower teams probably needed a bit more games under their belt um, to sort of gain their confidence. And since we're sort of starting to get more and more into the season, you kind of see, uh, you kind of see a bit of a contraction of of the talent, and you could actually see that actually no, the the competitions are actually a bit more tighter than everybody else. Um, but look, the Panthers are they're one they're two they're one game ahead of everybody else. They are the team to beat, um, and things. Uh, yeah, I think it's. I think they'll probably get to the grand final. I want to say that I think I think that's what it it looks like it's going to happen. I don't know if they've grown enough to win. That's the only thing that I that I kind of fear with them. They could be one of these um, rare teams that go to grand finals twice and not win, like the Balmain Tigers. Of okay, now I'm just really <laughs> all, all the dragons in the early nineties. So you know, yeah, dragons and tigers. There you and, go. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on. All right, here we go with uh, tackle number three, and it's our spotlight. Here we go. All right, so this week our spotlight is on HIA rules being exploited by, guess who? The Melbourne Storm. 
they have admitted that there was nothing wrong with Cameron Munster after a Simbin drama in Friday night's clash with the Sydney Roosters. It was early in the match. Roosters lock Victor Radley was given 10 minutes in a Simbin after he hit Munster with a high shot. Radley was off balance and appeared to be carelessly hanging his arm out. He caught Munster around the neck, who fell to the ground heavily. The referees, uh, after being told to be more strict with their interpretations of HIA, um, uh, you know, basically in the new rule, it states that there have to be three players failing HIA tests for the 18th man to be triggered or be the victim of foul play. Uh, and at halftime, NRL great Corey Parker said, from first looking, watching it, from first look watching it live, I thought Munster was out. I said straight away it's a send off. Um, and uh, and yeah, so basically, while Munster initially appeared in trouble, he popped straight up and was forced from the field for what was believed to be a head injury assessment HIA. And I think he went back on after only like twenty seconds or so, twenty seven seconds. Yeah. So look, basically, this story is about. Uh, the Storm admitting that they they exploited the rules to allow, and they didn't actually look technically. Um, I think it was Corey Parker or someone else as well who said, you know, isn't the rule that once you get a player off for HIA that they have to be off for fifteen minutes at least? But this wasn't the case. Somehow the Storm bent the rules. So uh, I don't know what <laughs> what can be done about this, Tish. Um, yeah. Either we have. Hard and fast rules to avoid this situation, or someone really didn't enforce the rules properly and the storm got away with it. What do you think? Yeah, look, uh, it's very, very interesting this sort of situation. They're not the only club to do this, by the way. Um, I believe the Cowboys did it um, later on in the game too. So, look, there is a there is something. There's another thing that they actually sort of sneaked in here is that when um, you know when there was a foul play, you do actually get a free interchange. Um, and uh, so what happened was is that um, and and because um, because there was a penalty involved, um, uh, you know, Munster got the penalty for obviously staying down. He then got HIA assessed and taken off the field. They actually put another player on, um, and then telling have um, Munster come back onto the field, um, and then they essentially didn't have to that play that one on the field actually got in. Got to go on there. Sorry, when um, Munster got to go and uh, go back onto the field, he got to go back in for um, no interchange. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So okay. yeah, so they got a free interchange out of it, and and this is kind of um, because of the new rule that's brought in. I think um, you know, obviously, you know, the NRL being um, you know, they're sort of you know they've had to put these rules in, and, and this is like uh, you know the first week, and already the Melbourne are sort of doing it. So. You know, some people are saying out there, oh, look, you know, um, the rules are there. This is the loophole. They found the loophole. Good on them. They, you know, if you can find the loophole and if you can bend the rules to, to your advantage, that's great play and and that's fine. And a lot of people say that. And, you know, Melbourne have kind of been um, pioneers of that. They're not the only club that does that, though. There's been other clubs. As I've just pointed out, the Cowboys have also, um, you know, take taken advantage of that rule. And... There's probably other teams that have probably done it, but it's that probably hasn't been highlighted. Um, but I actually heard something really good about this: is that look, even if the rule is there, right? If you are serious about HIA, you would not exploit it, right? You'd let the NRL know, hey, look, there's a bit of a loophole here. Um, you know, teams can get free interchanges if they wanted to, based on how you laid out the rules. Um, you know, for the sake of the game and the HIA, can we 
figure out how we could do it because I don't think um, it's the it's the type of injury that you know clubs should actually be exploiting. Um, and you know, like whatever, like whatever happened to sort of having the respect of the game and respect of the rules a little bit. I feel like um, I feel like when you're constantly bending, you're kind of forcing the NRL to take more and more extreme measures. You know, over a period of time, to the point where it's going to get ridiculous. And um, you know, um, if the NRL one day gets sued uh, for HIA, um, you know, it could actually end rugby league. I mean, the 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 amount of damages that have been other sports have actually had to pay uh, for HIA related uh, things is, is quite enormous. Some of the lawsuits that you're hearing about. So I really think that uh, the Melbourne Storm and all other clubs, um, not just the Melbourne Storm, all clubs should have a bit of a responsibility that, hey, look, when there is something as serious as HIA and there is a loophole that you could exploit, you know, inform people that there is a loophole rather than exploiting it for your own benefit. Um, you know, the short-term gain is that you win a premiership um, from what potentially causing brain damage to players it's kind of not right. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, um, you know, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, like, a, you know, you don't sort of, uh, you don't want to sort of teach people to, to sort of use like a serious injury as, a, as an excuse for, you know, to get a free interchange. It sounds, it sounds really, really bad if you think about, you know, the consequences of what a HIA can cause and the fact that you're using that to get uh, what one extra advantage over an an opponent every week it, it it seems to me it just seems shows a bit of lack of class what, what about yourself dr t yeah look i agree with you 100 percent. i think uh you know it's one of those situations where it's like well you're only hurting your own players by encouraging mm. them to exploit the rules i mean really at the end of the day if the players are complicit in it then they need to they need to pull their head in because it's really about themselves it's about their own well-being and you know Maybe it's it's up to the players as well not to follow instructions to do that when uh, clearly it is, uh, you know, well, at the end of the day, we've said this how many times before about certain clubs that they continue to sort of flout the rules and really it's it's the coaching staff that, that instructs players to do this. Players do not necessarily on their own accord, um, you know, exploit rules. Uh, unless they're explicitly instructed to do so because it's too risky. You know, you've got enough to worry about to do your job on the field, uh, let alone trying to find sort of, uh, you know, shortcut ways to sort of gain an edge over your opponent via bending certain rules and, and you know, that kind of thing. And so I think all of that comes really from the coaching staff of the, the clubs that are involved. And, uh, you know, that's what the focus should be on. I think um, the NRL should start sort of looking at the, the coaching staff uh, of these clubs and holding them to account. I don't know how do you do that, but that's what they need mm. to do um, yeah. at the end of the day. So anyway, that's my view on that. Shall we move on to tackle number four? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So tackle number four is it's all football. Here we go. All right, so the uh, the big news that's come out this week in non-rugby league related circles, but actually is is very closely related to something that rugby league fans know everything about, especially in Australia. It's about 
what's been known or been called a breakaway super league that has rocked the association football soccer world. So 12 of Europe's biggest soccer clubs have been slammed after announcing plans to launch a breakaway Super League that will turn the world game on its head. So Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham from England, three from Spain, Barcelona, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, and three from Italy, AC Milan, Inter Milan and Juventus, are determined to forge ahead with a new midweek competition despite the threat of being banned from their domestic competitions and their players being banned from international play. Um, and look, what this has done is basically with the promise of a one-time payment of $5.43 billion Australian dollars, all of these founding clubs, all um, – how many other – how many did I say? Ten of them? Uh, sorry, 12 of them uh, – will be, uh, you know, making a mozza out of this. So they're already the richest clubs in – some of the richest clubs in Europe, and they're just going to get a bunch richer with this breakaway competition. And the intention is that they're then going to invite three more clubs uh, to eventually uh, – before the start of the season, and then those 15 clubs will never face relegation from the competition. So in summary, what's been proposed is a new breakaway competition – of the biggest soccer clubs in Europe or those who who want to sign on to this. And the idea is that they uh, they will form their own kind of super league, they call in it, European Super League, which will basically mean that they just play each other every year for the honour of, uh, you know, whatever, uh, whatever the competition is going to be called. And um, obviously, a lot of people have are up in arms because currently we have this thing called the Champions League, which uh, involves a the, the the best performing teams out of each league, each domestic league in Europe, of which there are many, who then uh, you know go up to this qualify for this new tier called Champions League. And uh, based on their performances, and then they're put into a draw and there's there's rounds and then there's a knockout competition at the end. And then finally you get a Champions League winner who, and usually the, the, the um, I guess the criticism has been that, you know, you don't always get to see these champion teams, uh, you know, fight against each other. Um, when you know all these rich, te- these well-known teams, these well-known brands, don't always get pitted against each other because it's dependent on performances and it's also luck of the draw in a way, um, it, depending on how they're drawn in the qualifying rounds of the Champions League. So, look, basically, um, what has been interesting, Tish, is that uh, this so-called Super League has had quite a bit of a uh, well, in many ways, a similar reaction to the Super League that we saw here in Australia. Uh, obviously, the Murdoch kind of uh, inspired Super League, um, which shook rugby league to its core in Australia. Um, but it's been similar, but it's also been slightly different reaction or very different reaction amongst the soccer, you know, faithful. Uh, in the sense that uh, the fans have really come out for grassroots clubs and have very strongly rejected this notion and and really 
are calling for these uh, clubs that are signing on to this breakaway league to be banned and some of the players to be banned as well. So, look, does that remind you of anything, Tish? <laughs> you know, Super <laughs> League, it's the same word, same phrase that's been used. Um, threats of expulsion, the fan revolt, uh, calls yeah. for greed, uh, greed amongst these rich clubs who who want to you know get richer and let the other grassroots clubs fall by the wayside. Um, very very similar kinds of themes playing out here in this discussion as what we saw in 1995 uh, with the, uh, the the Murdoch inspired Super League in Australia. Um, I won't go into the details about you know how what this proposed Super League was going, how it's going to work. It doesn't really matter. The the key thing for me is the reaction and and how people mm. are responding to this. It's even got to the point where I think Prince William, you know, already uh, you know busy enough with uh, the Prince Philip's uh, funeral arrangements in the last week or so, and even he's come out and and. Uh, put uh, something out on social media where he's mm. talking about how disappointed he is in those clubs and how he really wants the fans to, you know, he falls on the side of the fans and, and the idea that Champions League based on merit as opposed to this Super League based on uh, the rich clubs, not necessarily on merit. So, Tish, a lot to cover there, but look, I, I thought I'd open it up to you. What do you think about what's happening in soccer and uh, and yeah, what what are your views about what what they're going through? Yeah, well, look, it's very very interesting, isn't it? It um, parallels obviously the Super League war um, that we had, um, you know, endured in the nineties, and the fact that this is also being called the Super League is very interesting too. So there is that very elitist movement about it, um, you know, and even the whole uh, propaganda around. You know, that word super, you know, obviously Super League, you know, comes back down to Man of Steel, Superman, about, but it's actually about creating elite. Now, wasn't it the whole reason why they released those comics was to, to uh, talk about a superhuman or elite human that is above everyone else sort of thing? Um, and, uh, you know, like a, like basically a supremacist type of view of, of people. So, um, yeah, so so obviously, you know, that's that's probably what it kind of angers people to the core to think uh, of themselves lower than that. Um, but yeah, look, um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the whole thing about um, not being uh, avoiding relegation, um, so there's no relegation and things like that is 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 where you know a lot of these clubs are trying to protect, um, you know, I suppose trying to create their long term future. But obviously, you know, this is. Um, takes away from the actual traditions and the essence of the game. You know, interestingly enough, you know, if you think about uh, the NRL that we have today, we have 16 teams. None of these teams can actually be relegated, <laughs> right? We sort of see them being bailed out as well by the NRL. So in a way, um, this competition that they're sort of proposing is, uh, you know, it ends up being like other codes in a way. Like, you know, the relegation system is is kind of unique to to football in a way. Like, you don't really see that in too many other sports, not that I could think of. I, I, I don't even think the the British Rugby League even have the relegation system anymore. I could be wrong about that. So so the fact that, um, yeah, so, so in a way, it kind of mirrors what everybody else is doing uh, as well, which is kind of interesting as well. Um, but look, I think um, I've heard, uh, I think I heard Phil Gould mention this before, 
you know, you get to a point when you've got these teams that play each other over and over again that they become household brands that, you know, and all of them become too big to fail. And you've kind of got that with the all the brands that we have in the NRL at the moment, right? You know, if you have a, tr- a club that sort of, you know, struggles financially, like, for example, the Cronulla Sharks, you know, just putting a name out there, right? Um, you really can't get rid of the Sharks brand from the NRL anymore because you lose so many supporters, you lose so much heritage, and you lose a lot of that. You know, it's very hard for some of these brands to 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 ever be relegated or to ever sort of um, you know sort of fail uh, because as they as they as the years go by, they get more and more fans, they get more and more of a tradition, and then um, so that's what you got in the NRL. So. It's interesting, like, that probably, um, you know, world football sees, well, not world football, these 12 teams sort of see the same sort of thing, you know, where, you know, they want to protect their brand to the point where, you know, their brand is going to continue to be household sort of brands, you know, in and, and that will actually keep the the revenue coming in. So, look, very interesting times and, you know, it's, uh, it's I wonder if, I don't know how far they've gotten into that. Do you know if they've actually... Um, you know, ha- have that, has it all gone through? Because obviously there's COVID in Europe as well, right? Um, do you know, Dr. T, if they actually got a, a start date for any of this? Uh, not as far as I can tell. I'm just having a look uh, at some of the information. Um, look, there, there is some information about the possible way it will work, and they, I guess they've got some tentative dates around it. But I think at the moment it's just really a, a proposal um, and I think this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's enough of, it's further, it's far enough along that, that people are taking it so seriously that UEFA, the UEFA has come out and basically said, look, if they want to sign on to this, we're going to ban these clubs from their domestic leagues and from the Champions League. And, and, uh, you know, at the moment, the Champions League is in the final stages. I think there's four teams left and three of those teams, are, are in uh, are are in this uh, group of twelve founding clubs, and so that will mean uh, you know there was an automatic winner if they if they're banned, there's an automatic winner of the Champions League, or or maybe they'll find a way to fill the gap anyway. But um, look, the other interesting thing is that the clubs are you know there are no clubs from France or Germany, although there are, mm. there's talk that French clubs are going to be invited uh, later uh, later on, but. The one of the biggest clubs in, well, the biggest club I think in Germany, Bayern, Bayern Munich, Munich, has mm-hmm. uh, has outright rejected uh, this. Uh, you know, it, and look, it's it says something when a a German club <laughs> is the one with the greatest amount of integrity wow. <laughs> in uh, in the world of soccer. It's just the world has totally flipped since uh, a while mm-hmm. ago. But look. Whatever the case may be, France and Germany stand united. <laughs> it's, it's really odd. I mean, you know, it's <laughs> look maybe COVID is affecting people's brains mm. over there. I don't know, but it's mm. a very odd uh, state of affairs. But look, ultimately, I think the the key thing that, uh, as you said earlier, that's of interest is the way the fans have revolted, and I think the. Um, you know, and and it's enough of a revolt that I think that even there, though there was a fan revolt in Australia, it wasn't enough to kind of put people off. 
the yeah. clubs that were signing on onto the Super League as opposed to the ARL or, uh, or the New South Wales Rugby mm-hmm. League or the A. Sorry, it was the ARL back then. Um, yeah. You know, it's not enough of a fan revolt where it gets you know, the crown prince of England <laughs> involved. You know, yeah. it wasn't that kind of level of – it was uh, – you know, we're talking about soccer. Is There's already a lot of money in it as it is. Mm. And this is just elitism uh, at, at at a much higher level, whereas I think what we saw in Super League, in, in Rugby League, uh, it was more about, you know – there was disgruntled players, you know, we're not getting paid enough because of the salary cap. There were so yeah. many reasons why you could almost justify having a Super League for elite players. Um, yeah. You know, there was there was a lot of um, concerns about the administration and mm. frustrations and all that kind of thing. And too many teams and exactly. talent being so, yeah. Whereas it's not the case at all in the soccer situation at the moment. It is more about, oh, this is just a bunch of greedy clubs that want to form their own league and and want to... Protect their interests. Protect their own interests and, and forget about what made them great and what made mm. the champions league great which is you can win a european championship on merit um what would happen to clubs that are not in that top 15 or top 20 or whatever the case may be they'll never get a chance to 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 fight it out to to you know to become european champions and look the other argument is you know, um, we don't want to see, you know, Liverpool or whatever against um, some random club from, you know... Um, Derby County. Germany, yeah, Germany or whatever, or, you know, or, or um, Holland in the semi-finals. Um, we want to see them against Real Madrid. We want to see the big blockbuster matches. And look, some um, people have quite quite rightly pointed out yeah, but do you really want to see those blockbuster matches every year for ten straight years? I mean, what's yeah. what's the point of that? That doesn't really. Uh, it's it's good for I guess the fans of those clubs, but only for the fans of those clubs. So yeah. really, it is all about if this is the crossroads decision point. I guess if mm. soccer is about you know if these teams are about making money for themselves, then they'll pursue this line. But if they're really about expanding the game and getting more people feeling like they've got a chance of tasting success, if you work hard enough and battling your way from the bottom, then this is not the way to do it. (laughs) You know, so look, um, yeah, yeah. The, the, there's a there's a lot. Look, we're, we're going to keep an eye on this one because I think the reaction to me is what's most important and what we really want to keep an eye on. And yeah. they could learn Absolutely. a lot from rugby league and the way we handled it, which was, um, you know, we we let both things happen and then we brought them back together. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it forced us to become a lot more professional. Um, I don't know if if soccer necessarily needs that i think this is genuinely you know potentially these big clubs um this could be the end of some of these big clubs i mean this there could be enough of a revolt that um that these clubs are no longer you know having will have the support that they have at the moment i think it's going to turn a lot of fans away from those clubs and potentially to other clubs so it may be there may be a silver lining to this after all even if 
they disrupt uh, the the Champions League and European soccer so much that they lose fans that we may see other fans gravitating to other clubs. So, yeah, we'll keep an eye on that. Tish, final word before we uh, close this one out. Yeah, well, yeah, look, you raised another, a great point there, Dr. T. Like, and, and you know, this, I, I thought about this, you know, even in, in rugby league, you kind of remember the underdog beating, you know, the established team. And you're going to take away that element with a super league. You know, you're not going to have, somebody has to come last, I suppose. So you're always going to have an elite team ends up finishing last. But ultimately, you're going to get rid of the, um, you know, the idea of like, you know, I, I remember there was a year where, you know, nobody expected, uh, you know, any team from Portugal to go anywhere, and then FC Porto ends up winning it. Um, and, you know, uh, it has a, uh, you know, Ronald Dino or Ronaldo, I think it was, was the, uh, you know, was kind of like the star player. And, you know, that was like Jose Mourinho's first season uh, sort of thing. Then you have like teams like, uh, you know, you've kind of had like, um, you know, uh, like, you know, you talked about Bayern Munich, you know, about Ajax and, a few sort of lesser-known clubs take it out every so often, which adds excitement to it. So you kind of get rid of that when you go elitism. And, yeah, you kind of right. The Super League war in Rugby League was different in that there was a lot more elements to just money. Um, you know, it wasn't about greedy clubs being more greedy. It was actually more down-to-earth. So, so look, I think, um, you know, look, if, if you're out there and you're disgruntled, uh, come and watch some Rugby League. And uh, and this might be a good opportunity for the NRL to maybe do so, a bit more promotion in Europe and maybe get some uh, football fans over to the NRL. Absolutely. All right. Uh, let's go on to tackle number five now. And this is League Around the World. Here we go. What's happening around the world, Tish? And uh, is this about the Panthers? Yes. So our League Around the World segment has travelled all corners of the globe and has landed in (laughs) Penrith. Um, But not really. So let me explain. So look, um, you know, there's been an article on the NRL, um, you know, website about a a pact that a few Panthers um, teammates have made. yeah, so, you know, Panthers teammates make a pact to play for Samoa uh, for the World Cup in November. So, um, you know, Moses Leota, Stephen Crichton, and, you know, playmaker Jerome Luai have all talked about playing alongside each other for Samoa, the two-tier, you know, who are a second-tier nation at the moment, um, you know, and um, that they've made this pact and that they will all, you know, um, agree to play for, you know, together for Samoa and reject other offers from other Tier 1 nations and even, you know, origin if, you know, eligibility uh, in favour of representing Samoa. So um, each one of these players, apart from Crichton, um, so uh, Luai and Leota have both actually represented Samoa in the past. And I think Leota has been touted that he might be eligible because he was born in New Zealand to also play for the Kiwis. Um, but I think he sort of mentioned that because he's never actually played for the Kiwis, he, he would rather, much rather play for Samoa. So interestingly, you know, like if you sort of uh, go back to, you know, the NRL, um, you know, if you go back to the Samoan, a number of players that are, have got Samoan heritage that are eligible for Samoa in the NRL is actually quite a large number. Um, and in fact, I think from the Pacific Islands uh, overall, I think it's like 
close to fifty percent of the NRL now is is got that sort of heritage. So um, you know, with these elite players playing in the number one team at the moment, the Panthers, um, you know, the grand finals from last year, big game experience. Now they're going to play for a second tier nation, and they're going to join uh, other players as well. Like you know, if Josh uh, Papali, uh, you know, from Canberra, sort of comes on board to that team. And I think there's a play from Parramatta as well, um, who is also Samoan, um, plays in the in the forwards. I just forgot his name. You know, they call him the... Uh, Paulo, the Junior Paulo. Yeah, yeah, Junior Paulo. Um, and then, look, I know he's out of form, but, you know, you've also got sort of players like Anthony Milford as well, who is is a organiser that could sort of um, complement Jerome Luai. I think you've got, um, you know, and he's injured at the moment too, but Harris Tavita uh, as well, who's represented Samoa. Now, you start to put all these uh, plays together with, with NRL experience, you know, semi-final experience and grand final experience. And and I just wonder, is this the, um, you know, we saw the Tongan revolution a few World Cups ago. Is this the Samoan revolution following behind that? And could Samoa potentially start pushing up into becoming a Tier 1 nation? Um, I actually think that this might actually be the, uh, the genesis of something uh, where they might actually do that. Um, your thoughts, Dr. T, on uh, Panthers players uh, choosing to play for Samoa over other uh, nations? Well, I mean, if we look back a few years, uh, did we not see the same thing with, Tong- uh, you know, with Tonga? Uh, yeah. And what result did we get out of that? We got a world-beating side and, look, I think nation. this is... That's right, a T1 nation. This is the way to do it. And I think... You know, especially if some of these players are starting to get more and more experience and getting more kind of, you know, um, becoming bigger stars than they would normally be. I think the way to, you know, obviously once they play at an international level, there's a lot more, there's a lot of this passion involved that they don't normally get at club level. And uh, I think to have these players bonding at, to such an extent that they want to play for their their country uh, is is fantastic. I think why wouldn't we – like, this is a good sign. I mean, this is not mm. – they're not being pushed by others. They're not being pushed by, you know, um, you know the, the coach trying to recruit them. This is them of their own volition wanting to bond together with their teammates, uh, their, na- their national mates, and um, – and you know, make an agreement that look, you know, let's do this together, and let's let's do it for our country. And um, I think it's a great thing. I mean, like I said, Tonga did it, and this is we, we. It wasn't quite a pact. It wasn't certainly communicated that way via the media back then. It was more just a couple of players that were leading the way, saying, "I have chosen this path over that path, the international path," and that led to it was a domino effect. This is a slightly different way, and so it remains to be seen whether this is a better way to do it rather than having a couple of big players lead by example and letting others decide. But who knows? Maybe having a social pact between people is the way to get that commitment. Uh, so great idea. Well done. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, look, I'm just looking at the talent that Samoa have have had. Um, you know, like, yeah, we talked about Junior Polo, uh, Polo. You got Jermaine Osako, you know, who's playing fullback at the moment for the Broncos. You know, kicks a lot of goals. You know, Bunty Afoa, uh, you know, Michael Cheekham, you know, Tino Fasula, 
everything. Uh, and I think he's actually played for Queensland, uh, for Suma Malawi. Um, but he's also played, represented um, Samoa as well. So um, Brian Toho as well. So, you know, there's, there's kind of a lot of big-name players there that, that, that Samoa can get used to. And, you know, if they could get the right coaching, um, I think they have a bit of an advantage over the other um, Pacific Island nations in that they've actually got players that are playing in the spine regularly in the NRL. Um, you know, some of the other teams like Fiji, Papua New Guinea and Tonga, you know, a lot of their players are more sort of forwards and backs. Um, you don't really see too many halves and, and you know, um, you know, dummy halves and, and fullbacks sort of um, playing in the NRL uh, in those teams. But yet they've had more success than Samoa. So I think I think that all the ingredients are actually there. It's just a matter of um, putting it all together. And I think that's um, that's probably the, the next challenge. And, and if they could do that, I think... Not only will they become a tier one nation, I feel like there'll be a tier one nation that will that will have a bit of longevity um, because there seems to be a nursery of, of NRL players, uh, you know, sort of uh, being developed in those nations. Yeah, absolutely. Good call. All right, let's move on to our final tackle, which is our tips. Here we go. seven tips before we get into that after round six we uh i got five out of eight last week you got two so i'm up to 33 you're up to 25 uh still a fair way to go in this season so i'm not counting my chickens just yet but look the all-important anzac round is coming up so let's go through all the uh the games and our tips for these so panthers versus knights um I'm tipping the Panthers on this one. Yeah, look, I think the Panthers will uh, continue their uh, roll on. All right. The Titans versus the Rabbitohs. Uh, I think South will win this one easily. Yeah, I think South are probably going to try to bounce back from last week's performance. All right. Eels versus Broncos. Eels for mine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to have to go with the Eels on this one too. So, um yeah, Spirit of Broncos, but I don't think they could go back-to-back, unfortunately. All right. Sharks versus Bulldogs. Um, yeah, this one, not so tough, I don't think. I think I'm going to go with the Sharks. Yeah, I think we're falling into one of these other rounds where all the top eight teams from last year are playing bottom eight teams. <laughs> I'm going I'm to tip the Sharks as well. I think, um, yeah, I don't see an upset happening here at all. All right, do you see an upset with Cowboys versus Raiders? Because I'm tipping the Raiders. Look, what I think is that it's... Uh, I'm going to tip the Cowboys, a bit of an upset. Um, how can you uh, adjust to the humidity of North Queensland from Canberra? I think that they'll find it t- tough. And, you know, you've got all these new players at Canberra because of uh, all the droppings. That's right. Well, you know, who knows? Yeah, it might be a bit of a risk what Ricky's doing there. So uh, maybe it should be called Risky Stewart, not Ricky Stewart. Anyway, <laughs> all right. 
Tigers uh, versus Manly. Uh, this will be an interesting one. Look, Manly have certainly shown that they've put it together in the last couple of games. and But I think the Tigers, look, there's something to be said about how they matched it with Souths and brought them to the wire. And I think, I think the Tigers will win this one. Yeah, look, I'm going to tip the Tigers too. I think very similar. I think it's just that... Uh, I think it's it's got to be known that like last week's performance, as good as it is, that they'll, they'll lose so much more if they perform poorly this week. And I just feel that um, this is the corner that they need to turn, and they'll turn. All right. Um, and look, one of the well, we've got the two big Anzac Day um, games now. Obviously, the uh, what, what do we call it? The Anzac uh, is this called the Anzac? Uh, well, I don't know. know. It's the special Anzac Anzac one. They match. I don't know. Anzac they match. Uh, Roosters versus Dragons, the traditional, uh, you know, only in the last twenty or so years tradition. Roosters versus Dragons. Um, look, this is actually I think tougher than than I initially thought. I'm tipping the Roosters, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Dragons win this one because they've. They tend to lift for these kind of games. Um, and so even though they're on paper not as strong as the Roosters, I think they've been performing better this year overall. So, look, still Roosters for mine. What about you? Look, I'm going to tip the Dragons. I feel like the Dragons this year, um, it, particularly with the injuries that the Roosters have had in their halves, all of a sudden the Dragons seem to actually have a much more experienced team and just the ferocity of how they sort of performed, they'll be disappointed from last week's performance. And I think now um, against the Roosters, I think they'll have a real crack at it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think uh, Anthony Griffin will have his men ready. All right. And the other Anzac Day traditional te- uh, game is the Storm versus the Warriors. And, look, look, I know the Storm, they've been going well and they've certainly, you know, the true test was against, uh, or one of the tests that they had was against the Roosters, and they certainly passed that with flying colours. But I'm intrigued by Nathan Brown's perfect Warriors last weekend. And if you're going to beat the Storm, you need to kind of play a very clinical, no-nonsense kind of tight game. And I'm tipping an upset here. I'm thinking the Warriors will win this one against the Storm. What do you think? Well, when you have achieved perfection, unfortunately, you can't. Uh, it's very hard to do it twice uh, <laughs> in a row, particularly if it's never done before, right? So um, so on that basis, I don't think their completion rate will be at 100%. Uh, but it kind of needs to be close to 100% to beat the Storm. So in therefore, I'm going to tip um, Melbourne um, in, in, in this one. And I don't think the Storm is just going to be too... Sh- too strong uh, for the Warriors, um, but it should be a good contest. Yeah, looking forward to it. Look, that is it. We are uh, that's that's it for this podcast. And look, thanks everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, enjoy the ANZAC round. Get out there and support um, support the troops and and uh, and commemorate ANZAC Day uh, as as you normally would in your particular neck of the woods. So. 
for those of you in Australia and New Zealand, of course, um, and around the world as well. And our thoughts go out to all the troops out there who are currently stationed anywhere in the world uh, on behalf of Australia and New Zealand. Thank you so much for your service. We salute you this round in the NRL. And, uh, yeah, look, over to you, Tish, to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T, and I'd like to thank everybody out there for listening. Um, but that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.